I can only imagine what's going on on TV, Mike Stone. Wow, pretty strange. Yeah, right? I, I don't, I don't like to tune into that. It's uh, <laughs> something I don't watch regularly. I, I couldn't hear any of that, but I imagine. Oh, it was, I'm uh, sorry, you couldn't hear that. No, but I, I can kind of get an idea as far I'm as sorry, what they I'm sorry. I wonder why you couldn't hear that. I it was it was going over the air, but probably uh, um, who knows? Be afraid. I'm Fox cases identified. Wash your hands. Oh Don't yeah, the, yeah, the, the whole thing. I'm so sorry. I, I I could hear it here. I maybe I screwed up. Oh no, you're fine. You're okay. fine. I okay. You, you see one of them. You've seen them all. You've seen them all. So yeah. So let's see. Um, let's let's go back um, for you and just kind of kind of uh, lay the groundwork. Um, when did you first came come across the idea? That uh, you know the folks out there like yourself and Lanka and Cowan and Kaufman and Vollmer and Sell and Lando and uh, Young a lot of people more and more actually that the whole germ theory was not germy that we just didn't catch viruses from one another. How did you come to that conclusion, Mike Stone? Um, I guess it it started um, back in 2017. Uh, I had a, a family member who was misdiagnosed with um, HIV, uh, and I, it started me on a path to, to try and help this person out um, with their treatment mm -hmm. or, you know, what to do and what to avoid. And so I started reading a lot of the, the literature on HIV, and um, I found, you know, I wasn't even looking originally to find that viruses didn't exist. I was just looking, I'm like, how could this diagnosis um, have been made? Because it didn't line up with what they're saying mm -hmm. um, or how it was supposed to spread based on the history that we knew from my family member. There was no, it, it literally was impossible for it to be um, the diagnosis that they said. So it led me to looking through the literature and I ended up stumbling upon, I believe it was the virusmyth.com oh. website. Mm -hmm. And through there, I started becoming familiar with the work of David Crow um, and his uh, the, the Rethinking AIDS group. Um, and uh, I believe it, that put me on to Stefan Lanka's work, mm -hmm. um, as well as House of Numbers, the, the documentary House of Numbers. So it was like basically my gateway into all this was the HIV um, Rethinking uh, group. And so uh, it led me to questioning whether that virus existed. And once I started questioning that one, I'm like, well, if HIV was never, you know, properly purified and isolated and never proven to actually cause AIDS, what about the rest of these viruses? And um, so it was, it, was, it was a process. It started off kind of slow, but then um, I started looking into their methods, what they were supposed to do to, you know, purify and isolate the viruses, how they were supposed to mm -hmm. prove uh, a specific microorganism causes disease. Um, and then I started breaking down some of the other papers for like measles or uh, chicken pox. Um, it, just, it just kind of progressed from there. Mm -hmm. So this idea that, uh, as you know, uh, you know, uh, the people out there are talking about not being properly isol isolated, that HIV never was, right? Um, explain to us, um, talk to us like we're a young child or a golden retriever. That's what we do around here so we understand it. 
Why is that important? I mean, um, what does that really Because there's so many people, well-respected people, that still say, well, it doesn't need to be isolated. You know, it just doesn't. It can st- we can still catch stuff from each other. Yeah, I think it, it boils down to if you're, you're looking at how you prove something. In, in science, it's, uh, you know, referred to as a scientific method. Um, and in order to prove cause and effect, you need to have what's called the, the independent variable. So the uh, thing that you believe is the cause mm-hmm. needs to be, you know, actually physically exist mm-hmm. so that you can vary and manipulate it with the the dependent variable, which is the effect. Um, And so when you think about it in terms of viruses, they would need to have the particles that they assume are the virus particles and only those because there's too many other variables within a sample. So if they take a sample from a human, there's other things in there like bacteria. um, They have uh, different microorganisms. Exosomes from the body that the body produces, all kinds of stuff. And isn't exactly uh, so without an isolated pure virus, you can say there it is, and and we can repeat it and we can pass it along or whatever we do with it. You can't prove that this caused that. You just can't. Absolutely, just yeah. can't. Um, there's just too many other variables. Other, I mean, uh, if you think about it this way, so if they just take like a, a long fluid sample from a person mm-hmm. and they don't separate those particles out, you're going to have all the, I, I believe they say there's like 38 trillion bacteria within a human in our microbiome. Wow. Um, they've even come up with estimates of like 380 trillion viruses Whoa. that are within us. Whoa. And so you can't <laughs> say, you know, if you say, yeah, exactly. So if you're taking a sample, there's potentially billions of bacteria. Mm-hmm. They haven't, you know, sequenced or, or isolated all these things. They just estimate how many there are in a person. So you potentially have other bacteria that we don't know of, other viruses that we don't know of. They're all within those samples. So how could you say it's a specific virus if you have not taken and uh, completely separated those particles you believe are the virus from everything else? But it just gets to a problem because they get to this um nanoparticle size where they cannot separate everything and they've admit, admitted it numerous times they can't separate exosomes what they call exosomes from viruses mm-hmm. uh, they just don't have the means and the methods to do that and so they they then say they have to grow them in a culture which is a whole nother problem so uh, that's the idea that's the first time we heard uh, and I, I guess Cowan and Locke and you all have all talked about that they actually use monkey cell kidney things um, to put into the petri dish to culture it outside the body right it could this tie in at all to this whole monkey thing that we're going to dig into here this morning could oh i'm sure i mean they they use monkey kidney cells i mean those are the main ones the vero cells Mm -hmm. um they use for for culturing it was primarily used with uh, sars-cov-2 um and and so you know it's not coming from a human cell they're using monkey cells uh, kidney cells they consider basically harbor of a vi- viruses in anyways so you know they say typically if you're 
going to uh, use a, a kidney cell, you're going to find a lot of viruses within those, what they call viruses within those cells to begin with. Um, and so, yeah, you're starting from a, you know, a non-human source right off the bat. You're, at, you're taking a human sample when they're culturing and they're adding it to a, a monkey kidneys. It, it just doesn't make sense. Why, why would they not use human cells in order to, to culture a virus rather than monkey cells. Why do you need anything to culture it? What's the idea of culturing it? What are, you trying, what are they trying to do? What they're saying they're doing is that they're growing viruses. They're saying so they're growing. They, hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so we, we see a lot of excuses. The main one is that they cannot find enough virus within the fluids of a, a sick patient to purify and isolate the viruses directly from those fluids they can't find enough so uh, no they can't find enough so apparently they can they can uh you know say someone's got enough virus in their body to make them sick Mm -hmm. you know to express symptoms to to have disease Mm -hmm. but when they go looking in our fluids with that whether it's the blood or the the lung fluid they can't find them and so they have to grow them in order to get enough to you know, do their tests to to look through them with uh, electron microscopes, to do their antibody testing and um, oh, the serological, you know, yeah. So the, the the that's the main excuse is that they cannot find enough. Um, the CDC has even said that. Um, I, Christine Massey, I'm, I'm. Are you familiar with her work with yeah. freedom of information yeah. requests? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, she she had done one, I believe, with the. I mean, she's gotten them from all over, but the CDC basically said that's um impossible we we can't get them from the fluids they have to be cultured <laughs> so it is that doesn't make is that a real showstopper for someone that understands this as well as you do that if you can't find enough in the fluid that it can't be the cause of anything or is that too simplistic oh no i mean that that's basically what it is if you can't <laughs> find the particles that you're claiming are a virus mm-hmm. within a person mm-hmm. then it doesn't matter what you do in that petri dish you you have no way of knowing that that process is not creating the very thing the particles you know the breakdown that those particles were ever in a human to begin with because you're not finding them in a human you're finding them after you've altered the sample heavily through you know the viral transport media which is basically a combination of antibiotics and fungals uh, they use cow blood, fetal cow blood. Wow. Um, they use different nutrients. They they call them minimal um, essential media nutrients. It contains a whole bunch of different ingredients. And so they're not, you know, it's the exact opposite of what we would call isolation when they're combining a bunch of, you know, the, the, the unpurified human fluids in with the monkey kidney cells and all these other components. Mm-hmm. You know, at that point, there's no way to say that whatever you're getting at the end result of that cell culture was ever within the human to begin with. Mm-hmm. And um, and so virologists, this is the way they're taught in school. You can do like 10 years of whatever, and this is what they teach you to do? This is it? As far as I know, I mean, from the virologists that I've spoken to, even microbiologists, uh, mm-hmm. I have uh, friends who have uh, talked to different virologists. I believe... Um, uh, even um, Dr. Cowan had um, an example where they had asked a virologist 
you know, if you take uh, a sample from one person, can you get enough virus? No. Well, if you combine it with 10 samples, can you get enough? No. If you can combine it with 100, you know, he kept going up and up and up. And, and the virologist basically wouldn't stop answering. I think he got up to like a, a 100,000 samples. If you pulled 100,000 samples of um, hmm. sick people and you tried to purify and isolate the virus from that, could you have enough particles? And the guy wouldn't wouldn't continue answering. Really? Interesting. Um, yeah. And so the, it's a belief in, the, in, in their whatever... I'm not exactly sure what they're taught, but for somehow it's been indoctrinated into them that they the only way to do this is through culturing. But they've never gone back and looked through the find out foundational papers to find out whether those particles were ever found to exist to begin with. Mm-hmm. Mike you know, is, is with us. If you care to join us, triple eight six six three sixty three eighty six. Email Patrick one Okay, so. Um, my understanding is this true then that if we don't buy into the germ theory, Mike Stone, then chicken pox and um, poxes is that the only pox when we kids chicken pox? Chicken pox is that it? Chicken pox is that it? Yeah, I mean, um, chicken pox it would be the main one. I mean, see, those those symptoms of a disease all kind of exist on a, a continuum. So uh, they're, they're all related. Um, smallpox, chicken pox, measles, rubella, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. shingles, there are others. They, they're all basically the same symptoms of disease. They're just varying stages of the same process. But, and at one point in time, way back, um, mm-hmm. you know, in the 16, 1700s, they believed they were all the same disease, basically. Mm-hmm. But then they started separating them and giving them different names, and so that's how we basically came up Had with a bunch well, of different ones. You know, yeah, so, yeah exactly. So is it your understanding then, best you your knowledge that all of these things, their detoxification process, and we don't catch anything, and you can pretty that's, much yeah. that's never been proven that they catch anything right ever. Right. I mean, there's lots of studies, too, where um, primarily with influenza, but I've seen with chicken pox and I've seen them with measles where Mm -hmm. they tried to, uh, you know, infect people naturally, whether it was, um, you know, having them sit close by for long periods of time or breathe in their their, you know, their breath or having them coughed on, uh, having their fluids put inside them, uh, blood injected different things along those lines, uh, and they could not transfer disease from person to person. Um, you know, injection, first of all, isn't a really a natural way to, to catch something anyways. But the ones that, like um, the, the Rossinal exper- experiments with the Spanish flu in the 1918, those were more designed for what we would think is a natural mode of infection, you know, through the air, through the fluids, um, being with the person who's sick, and, and they could not transfer disease in in multiple experiments. Mm-hmm. That so, holds true for a lot, of, not just influenza, but you know we've seen it for measles, scarlet fever, chicken pox. Um, same thing. Polio, a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they can't trans. They can't transmit it naturally. I've only seen a couple of pictures of this alleged monkeypox, and it seems like it's the same picture. Um, yeah. Now, I think it was taken ten years ago or something. So, what do you suspect this thing 
is it do you think it's just all made up and it's just I mean what's your opinion on what's going on here with the old monkey business um are you talking about the the images or just the the, the what, symptoms everything I mean everything. I mean I mean do you think this is just the new Omicron 2.0 and now they're gonna just do monkeypox I, I believe there's a component. I mean, it's a fear campaign. They they've uh, definitely are trying to get people aware of this. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the the information that came out from the nuclear threat initiative. I, I believe it was back in um, March of 2021. Oh. Uh, this uh, they did a, a drill, a monkeypox drill, did where they? it was a fake monkeypox outbreak in a, a fake country in Africa. And the projected date that they had for when this outbreak was going to occur was May of 2022. Really? So, they, <laughs> really? yeah, we really? accurately predicted a monkeypox outbreak um, hmm. from, you know, in March. The report was written up in November of 2021. And then we have this come out in May. But it, it really, when I was looking into that, it reminded me of the, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Event 20 or Event 201. 201, yeah. Back when. Yeah, when the coronavirus started, like six weeks before the first uh, SARS-CoV-2 was identified, they, they ran a drill saying that uh, there was going to be a coronavirus outbreak, and it was very similar to what we eventually saw. And so we see these drills that are played out, and you see a lot of the same players, like in both instances with the, the Event 201 for the coronavirus and the um, Nuclear Threat Initiative, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation was involved. Mm-hmm. Um you see the director of the Chinese CDC was involved in both of those. Um, they have pharmaceutical companies that were involved. Um, I believe the UN and the CDC were involved in event 201. Um, I think if I remember correctly, the WHO was involved in the monkeypox outbreak one. So, I mean, the same players typically are involved in these drills. And then, you know, a few months later, we have the real thing. And so I think there's a definite fear propaganda involved, but I, I, I'm i not saying this is the cause. I, I never believe there's just one cause for anything, but if there is an increase in, you know, the symptoms associated with monkeypox, there's so many people that are going and getting injected over and over again with this experimental vaccine and these boosters, mm-hmm. and eventually mm-hmm. the body is going to have to get rid of those toxins. And um, one of my friends actually pointed out in the Pfizer documents that were released, they had listed as a side effect something called autoimmune blistering disease. Uh And so, Mm. you know, Mm. they Mm. can easily confuse these same symptoms or they can cover it up saying, no, it's not, you know, the vaccine causing these reactions. It's the uh, monkeypox virus that escaped yeah so that's an interesting take that this thing could be possibly just a a planned event to then blame eruptions on the skin caused by the injections on some new thing called monkeypox exactly well yeah you find that a lot of times um like with uh monkeypox originally so i i went back to the you know when they first discovered the monkeypox mm-hmm. and it was in 1958 58 in lab monkeys. yeah in 1958 in a uh, lab monkeys so these were monkeys that were being experimented on for polio vaccines uh-huh. um and they 
discovered that these monkeys were having the same symptoms as smallpox. But they said smallpox could not infect animals. It was only a human disease. And so even though it was the exact same symptoms of disease, um, even the particles under electron microscope looked the same. They said, well, it's not uh, smallpox. It's, it's a new disease called monkeypox. And that same year that monkeypox was discovered, the WHO uh, had come out and said that they were going to eradicate smallpox. And they were going to do a mass vaccination campaign um, in basically the uh, you know lower income countries that had not eliminated the disease yet. So it was basically this the perfect scapegoat. You know they had um, this push to vaccinate these poorer countries, and then any reactions that came out that looked like smallpox eventually became monkeypox. Um, which was first discovered in humans in 1970 wow. after yeah and so they they built up this case that they were going to eradicate the disease through vaccination um, and you saw 12 years later the first official case of the monkeypox and that case was actually originally considered smallpox they they actually thought it was a nine-month-old baby they clinically diagnosed it as smallpox. You know, they saw the laboratory tests all said it was smallpox, but then um, after they incubated the sample for another 70, or so normally with smallpox, they incubate it in an egg. Sorry, this is getting kind of technical. That's right. But they, they uh, culture it in an egg for 48 hours. And so if they see these pox formations within 48 hours that they're looking for, these patterns, they say that's smallpox. But with monkeypox, they incubated another 24 hours. And so the pox end up looking different because they've been incubated longer, and that's considered monkeypox. So they did this uh, trick where they changed up the pattern based on the length of time that they incubated the culture. It's a little technical, but it, it was, um, yeah, it was odd to see. I noticed that in the 1958 paper and the 1972 paper, um, for both the animal origin for monkeypox and the human origin that they changed up this uh, length of time that they cultured the the virus, so to speak. And so if you did it for 48 hours, you had smallpox, 72 hours is monkeypox. And the, the main disconnect would be um, this idea that we catch something from outside of ourselves to cause blisters or herpes or whatever, when all the evidence suggests it's the opposite, the body is um, getting rid of toxins, right? In herpes, yeah, everything it through the skin. coming through the skin, exactly. Which is what the body does, yeah. right? Which is what the body does. Yeah, and we know this. I mean, they, they know that that's a, a form of detoxification. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that your body tries to eliminate toxins, whether it's through <laughs> you know sweat urination um, or um, throwing up, vomiting, you know, uh, fevers. There, there's lots of ways. So rashes on the skin, um, you know, acne, different things like that is just a way of your body trying to get what it needs to get out. Mm-hmm. Um, if it can't get it through normal means, then it might get it out through, you know, rashes or blistering. And um, one thing you know, you'll notice when you look through the smallpox vaccine, which just so happens to be able to 
immunized for monkeypox. Oh, good. Oh, good. I'm glad. Yeah. It causes the exact same symptoms of disease as smallpox and monkeypox. Um, so it can cause the rashes. It can cause a blistering. Um, and the only way that they, okay. So clinically, like if you were to look at a case of monkeypox and smallpox or even chickenpox, any of them, they can't distinguish them. They, they can't say, One is, is oh, one. that's monkeypox. Yeah, they, they have no way of doing it. They, they look the same. So one of the ways they tried to say monkeypox was different with, than smallpox was swollen lymph nodes. Uh-huh. Uh, well, one of the side effects of the smallpox vaccine is swollen lymph nodes. So, <laughs> you know, they were creating the disease that they then start blaming on monkeypox. Um, but even then, I found that swollen lymph nodes is also a symptom of smallpox. They just didn't look mm. for it, and they didn't record it regularly, but there were cases of that as well. So there's no distinguishing them based on clinical diagnosis. They can't do it. So the only way they can do it is uh, PCR. That's what they started doing in uh, 2003. So Wow. That's the, so are they using yeah. uh, PCR now to, to claim these are cases of monkeypox? They're the same yeah, thing? Yeah, that's the only way. That's the only way to diagnose it is. Um, and, and we know that's not right, right, Mike? It's just not, right. it's just not, nothing, nothing valid in that whatsoever, is there? Nothing. No, no, it's an invalid method. It's not even meant to be used as the test. And so they're using, wow. uh, a, you know, a fraudulent method to um, diagnose the disease that they cannot clinically distinguish from other diseases. Just like with COVID-19, where you know, if you have a patient who comes in and they have the same clinical symptoms as the flu or pneumonia, uh, they, they can't tell a, a flu patient, a pneumonia patient, um, or any, you know, or someone suffering allergies from a COVID patient. The only way they can distinguish them is through PCR. But you can't validate PCR without knowing, you know, clinically how to diagnose someone. Mm-hmm. So it's, it gets into this whole problem of, um, determining disease prevalence well if you can't clinically diagnose someone based on their symptoms you can't figure out disease prevalence if you don't know disease prevalence your pcr results are meaningless and then i guess with the pcr we've learned over the years that the cycle threshold you can play with that thing and come up with pretty much whatever you want right absolutely yeah and they normally run them at very high cycles so i mean yeah like anywhere I've seen most of them are run over 35 cycles. Um, and so anything above 35, they say basically is just dead nucleotides. According to Anthony Fauci, they're, they're just dead nucleotides floating around. So, um, they're, they're not very trustworthy results, but I mean, I've seen, uh, other virologists say you shouldn't be doing over 25 really? cycles. Really? Oh yeah. But they, they regularly go, I mean, I've seen, tests running at 40 45 all the way up to 60 hmm. yeah Fauci's actually on, <laughs> on on tape we had a tape years ago saying anything over 30 is is worthless right on, on yeah. tape and then of course carrie mullis who you know he's on record saying that the whole thing was not right the pcr thing well yeah i mean he pretty much said that with pcr you can find anything in anyone mm-hmm. um hmm. as, as long as i mean there's he said, if I remember correctly, there's not a single molecule, molecule, I believe that was the word they said, that you can't find one of in a person. And so if you run it long enough, you're eventually going to find, you can find anyone. Anything, right. Uh, yeah, 
anything and anyone. And just because you find that it it doesn't have any meaning behind it. You can't tell someone that they're infected. You can't tell them that they're sick, that they're going to die. None of that. I mean, I mean, that's why you see like the CDC and the, um, the, oh, I can't remember. There are two tests, the one, the Drosten test and the CDC test both, um, had uh, water, uh, going as positive for COVID-19 during testing. And so really? hmm. if you can tell, if you can make water positive for COVID-19, <laughs> that should tell you everything you need to know about the accuracy of these tests. Wow. Um, so do you think they're gonna uh, then run this whole smallpox vaccine thing for this monkeypox does it feel like that's what the plan is it looks that way um now i haven't looked completely i mean i know in the past the main vaccine that they used was the smallpox vaccine it's the exact same one they've even admitted it's the same one that basically that jenner uh, Edward Jenner, when he went through his smallpox vaccination experiments in the late 1700s, like 1798 or something like that, is basically the same premise. They don't use the smallpox virus. They they have what they call the vaccinia virus, which is a distant cousin mm. to smallpox. So they, they say that it's less uh, lethal to people. So they use this. Um, but it's well known that the smallpox vaccine, I mean, I've seen articles calling it the deadliest vaccine known to man like it's there's more deaths from the vaccine i even uh someone just sent me an image like since i can't remember the exact year but it was like since uh 2000 or something there's been zero smallpox deaths and like thousands of smallpox vaccine deaths so the vaccine is actually killing people more than the Mm. disease because obviously the disease doesn't exist anymore according to them but so they, I mean, I mean, they just reclassified they've been, they've been regularly giving uh, uh, this smallpox vaccine to people uh, regularly over the last not, 20 years not not that I know of at least in like the countries like America okay. and stuff like that but they have in smaller countries um, they, they've been given this vaccine because and any like wherever you would see monkeypox they would be using the smallpox vaccine because it's essentially they say it's the same vaccine it's going to protect against smallpox it's going to protect against monkeypox but i know um back in 2003 president bush uh there was an article i read where he was uh basically mandating that the military was gonna like everyone who was in the military had to have the smallpox vaccine and they were recommending healthcare workers uh to get it as well and this was basically due you know, it had already been declared eradicated in the U.S., so it wasn't because there's any sort of outbreak. But that same year, in 2003, there was a few cases of the monkeypox that apparently were discovered in the U.S., and so they did this on the basis of the potential threat of a biological weapon, like mm-hmm. someone using smallpox to mm-hmm. uh, bring it mm-hmm. back. So they basically vaccinated a bunch of people for. A disease that doesn't apparently doesn't exist anymore just on the chance that it could or a virus sorry the disease still exists but the, the, but the idea that um <clears throat> excuse me but the idea that oh, um you you would have to have some correct me if i'm wrong but you'd have to have some isolated pure smallpox even to do a biological weapon 
which they're exactly. they, which they don't have. So even that is no, a false flag. That whole idea, right? Same way with COVID. Yeah, you'd have to have a biological COVID, which appears after two years that the whole biological weapon Wuhan thing that was all made up too, right? I mean, oh, exactly. And, yeah. The, the, yeah, the biological uh, weapon narrative, I think, is just a, an, another way to get people to um, believe in the, the, the germ theory. You know, it's just, mm-hmm. a, you know, people that are, might be on the fence. Oh, yeah, it's not a, a real virus, but, hey, we can create an lab. Yeah, so and they, they released it in the air or whatever, right? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, and so it, it'll get some people that are, are questioning the official narrative to then say, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I guess, yeah, it's yeah. not a real mm-hmm. virus. It's not natural, but they've got the capability of making one at any time. We should be afraid of that right. and protect ourselves. So that's kind of how I viewed those um, just based on some research into the gain of function stuff. But um, yeah, with uh, smallpox, I looked into, I, I, I'll have to look into it a little bit deeper, but when I did an initial search for the actual purification and isolation of smallpox, I, I cannot find any paper where they did that. No one's ever done Not that. a single one. No, the only one that they try to attempt, and I don't believe they even use the word purified, but they, they try to say that they purified or isolated the vaccinia virus, the one that is the, the cousin that they used for the the vaccine. And even then, it's it's the same process you'll see where they use tissue cultures and things like that. It's not it's not a purified, isolated particles that they're they're going and and using to to try and prove these the existence of. They're they're just using, you know lab created concoctions so to speak <laughs> lab created concoctions <laughs> like uh, we're gonna do a little break mike uh, stay right there okay oh you're fine yeah stay sure. right there okay here we go sorry about the voice folks but you know previously with dr ross stewart who just kind of came up with this telling about how he works with people and their neurotransmitters how do we produce sufficient amounts of glutathione in the liver which of course is a big filter for all the blood pulling half-spent hormones, waste, dead cells, and other toxins out of, the, out of the blood. The higher the level of glutathione, the longer a person's going to live and the better their blood is. And I'm glad you're doing a sulfur product. Once you start getting any of these kinds of symptoms, all the way from autism, all the way through Parkinson's, you can't get enough sulfur from eating broccoli and kale and cauliflower and garlic and onions you can't get enough you need to supplement it well the information just keeps on coming with sulfur the sulfur that we promote is 99.97 percent pure no additives no excipients just click an order on the front page of one radio network.com i think we have one more day of elk velvet on sale tomorrow's the last day and i'll give you the promo code after i after this after i can show this to you Before I start my work day, I like to get my workout in. It makes me much more effective throughout the rest of the day. Now, one of my favorite supplements to use in conjunction with my training is Sir Thrival's Elk Antler. These are sustainably and humanely harvested from US free range animals. Now, what's interesting about elk, deer, moose, all these animals we call the cervids, is they're the only mammals who have an organ that actually falls off and regenerates every year. 
These elk antlers grow out in just a matter of a couple of months. In order to grow like that, they need growth factors, steroidal compounds that cause that rapid growth. Those can actually be harvested, freeze-dried, and put into solution that you can actually utilize in your own body. Now there's been a back and forth history with this being banned for doping in professional athletics. Currently, it is legal, except that it is really rich in IGF-1, which is a banned substance. Now, of course, this is a natural substance. This is not a steroid. But when you look at natural substances, you won't find anything more powerful than elk antler for recovery, for lean muscle growth and maintenance, for metabolic enhancement, and for recovery after injuries and surgery. This is incredible stuff. If you're looking for a natural supplement that boosts your metabolism, helps you grow lean body mass, burns fat, increases libido and energy levels, and helps your body regenerate from your workouts or from injuries or surgeries, take a look at Survival's Elk Antler. And uh, promo code is STRONG20. STRONG20, 20% off. Oh no, Elk Velvet Antler. Also colostrum, uh, pine pollen here. You can get this little guy. It's a great product. Need to take a bottle, maybe it'll do a little throat here going. And uh, don't forget about this guy. We like this one. This is about a um, bunch of different microalgaes. Um, I got about five here I'm going to take down in my little body soon this morning. It's called um, Microalgae Bio Superfood, oneradionetwork.com. It really is a great product. They're making this, um, mm, this microalgae in a bioreactor in about 1,200, uh, water rather, that goes down 1,200 feet, a really pristine water, and, um, and then it's in a bioreactor, so there's no pollution. Probably the cleanest microalgae you're gonna get anywhere. You're not getting anything in the ocean with any possible, you know, stuff from Fuka, whatsoever, who knows. Uh, but this is a great product, so you can take this, and you can really feel it. Uh, you can really feel it. It's called Bio Superfood, OneRadioNetwork.com. You can click and order right on the front page. Uh, what happened to my little slide for monkey virus slide? Come on, man. Oh, did I lose it? Sometimes it does that. I just don't understand. I could po oh, no, here it is. I, I got to have this here, man. I want it. From the Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. Mike Stone is with us, and uh, um, his website is, how do you pronounce it, Mike? Veer, Lyle, how do you pronounce it? Uh, virology. I just say it. Virology. 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 This is a great question. I'm glad uh, they reminded me. It was on my notes. Uh, George wants to know this idea about um, Trail of Tears and the smallpox with the Indians and all that. You've heard that story. Do we know what really happened with that whole thing? Like why the, the Native Americans came down with um, yeah. smallpox? Yeah, I mean, wasn't it um, um, Andrew Jackson? They said it was blankets. Yeah, the blankets uh, or was infected. Did we know any of the real story, what that was about? Um, I don't know as, as far as the real story. I've heard theories as far as what happened. Um, one was uh, bed bugs. 
that were on the sheets that were biting them and causing them to have um, different rashes. Um, I've heard a lot of uh, talk about the stress because at the time they were being thrown out of their own homes, um, kind of pushed off their land. They uh, were, uh, you know, in uh, a state of heightened stress trying to survive. They weren't getting the nutrients they needed because a lot of times um, I've seen uh, smallpox related back to malnutrition and, and proper sanitation. And, wow. and so uh, the Native Americans were, you know, forced off their land, um, being basically hunted in some cases, things along those lines. And so um, there was a lot of uh, changes that they were going through um, that uh, could have, you know, resulted in uh, a detoxification or, or you know, um, a lot of mental and physical stressors that they had to contend with that they never had before. So um, I've seen that as an explanation. Some people have said it could have been arsenic poisoning because uh, apparently it has a very similar symptom set. So there, there's a few different ideas as far as uh, what could have brought about, uh, you know, a detoxification process in the Native Americans. Um, I don't. I don't know if there's any really any real way to find out yeah. i mean we just basically have stories that that were told so you, you kind of have to take them with a grain of salt too mm-hmm. and uh any uh consensus on the whole spanish flu thing mike stone of how that came about as far as what what caused what, what that it was and what what happened uh again there's quite a few different theories um i've seen um with uh, I have yet to read the book, but the Invisible Rainbow by yeah. Arthur Hirsenberg, I believe his name, uh, talked about. I believe at the time, because of World War One, they had different uh, radio communications like uh, EMF signals and things like that that were, you know, being introduced, and uh, uh, could have been a reaction to the electromagnetic waves that were uh, basically uh, our bodies were not accustomed to. Others have said uh, there was, a, I believe, a vaccination campaign, especially with the in the military. They were using different bacteria that they were trying to um, uh, vaccinate for. I can't remember exactly what it was, but that mm-hmm. those reactions have been reactions from the vaccines. Um, they also, at the time, aspirin uh, first was brought into use or was being used in amounts that are way higher than what would be recommended today. And a lot of the same symptoms from the Spanish flu uh, mimicked uh, aspirin poisoning. Really? So they were wow. giving them, yeah, too, too much, too, too high a doses of aspirin. Um, so it, again, it, it's not like it's just one factor, which they, they always try to blame it on. Um, oh, they also the, the industrialization, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, the growing industrial revolution the the pollutants from the different factories and things like that could have also influenced people having some form of detoxification but so it, it basically could have been a calm you know a culmination of many factors versus just one because people mm. always try to look for that, that one causal factor mm. but it's yeah. for me from what i see it's never that simple there there's probably multiple reasons why people exhibited those symptoms because they're all detoxification symptoms you know the we we go through them for multiple reasons not just just one do you think there was a time when uh um uh, there was people did not believe in the germ theory and then that's started 
recently, last few hundred years? Do we know historically? Oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, it was, it was questioned heavily. Um, <clears throat> uh, even, you know, it, it pretty much began to get mainstream acceptance with Louis Pasteur, <clears throat> his work. But even at the time, you know, Antoine Bechamp, there was a, a, another guy who argued for the terrain theory. I mean, so it was two competing theories, but Pasteur had the backing basically of the, the medical establishment, you know, people setting up the medical establishment. Um, here in the U.S., we had the Rockefellers, you know, the big oil that uh, their money was influencing our healthcare system. They um, basically said all the allopathic or not the, the holistic um practitioners things that were accepted for you know centuries that that was all snake oil no, and quacks yeah. and stuff like that yeah. and got rid of them and then implemented their own system of selling pharmaceuticals and stuff like that base basically covering up the symptoms or the diseases that were be create, being created by their own products and so um it, there's a lot of um where there the dissent was drowned out you know the people with the the money uh the rockefellers the you know the, the people in control of these industries um had their own scientists mm. um I, I don't know if you're familiar with the flexner report um which yeah, came out i believe in the early 1900s which basically established our medical system um you know they were the flexner was backed by the rockefeller foundation and so um anyone who disagreed was basically drowned out just as today you know if you disagree with um you know any SARS-CoV-2 narrative uh you're not going to see your paper get published yeah. I've seen a lot of there there's been some good papers on just the fraudulence of the PCR test and they weren't even calling out the lack of a virus they're just calling out the PCR test and they can't get it published wow and so wow. yeah and <laughs> and it, it, there's uh, a system in place that drowns out the opposition. So people believe that there is this consensus, this agreement in science, and that because there's a consensus that it must be true. But that's against science. Consensus is not science. You, you can't, you know, the, these ideas are meant to be challenged, but the, the opposition is not getting the airtime. We're not, we're not getting the, you know, the press, so to speak, as the, uh, the mainstream does and so there, there's definitely a, a, a drowning out of the voices and you, you can see that even during the smallpox with the vaccination campaign uh, there's this um book i did or a, a book i read in the 1800s called vaccination proved useless and dangerous hmm. where the author went through all the data for the smallpox vaccine and showed how dangerous the vaccine was and how little danger there was of the actual disease and so uh, it, there was a you know anti-vaccinators anti-vaccination leagues in the 1800s 1900s i mean we just don't hear about that yeah yeah well they control it all boy don't they um yeah um uh, so after you all this work do you think um do you think we catch anything from anybody no no i really honestly i i don't i mean i think you can you can you people can influence you you know if you're sure. if you're around someone and and you know they're they're you're angry or stressed out because of another person and stuff mm -hmm. like that yeah i can influence how, how you feel and, and your health and stuff like that but i don't i have not seen any 
evidence of human to human transmission of anything. Wow. Nothing. Nothing. I mean, uh, no, no. I mean, the 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 evidence is so ridiculous. So you know, there's there's natural routes of trying to prove uh, an infection, and then there's these unnatural routes. And if you look at the studies that try to prove transmission, most of the time they're in animal studies. Um, a lot of times they're taking uh, disease tissues of animals and grinding them up with a bunch of other uh, additives, and then they're injecting them in either into the brain, the, the eyes, the stomach, you know, the skin, uh, and in some cases the testicles of animals, and different things like that. And if a if a negative result, they'll take, or if a positive, they'll they'll grind up those tissues of that animal, and then do the same process over and over and over again into other animals, and continue recording the results. And if they get sicker and sicker and sicker, then they're like, oh look, that's transmission. No, you're just taking diseased, you know, dead tissue mixed with a bunch of chemicals. Yeah, and injecting it unnaturally into animals. So that doesn't prove transmission. It just proves that you can torture animals and make them sick by injecting crap into them. Wow. It's ridiculous. <clears throat> and, uh, uh, I, you know, I the more I think about it, uh, it's probably the same thing going on with dogs and cats and all these vaccines. and. Um, I guess if, oh, yeah. I guess if there was a uh, an animal that had some kind of rabies, but does a rabies virus even exist? I mean, I did. I looked into that too. Lou, Pasteur's work with rabies was extremely fraudulent. Was it? Yeah. Like he he massaged his data, and um, there are so many reports of people that were said to have been bitten by a rabid animal that were completely fine. They didn't get a rabies vaccination, nothing. They never had any symptoms. I mean, the vast majority of people that were bitten by what were confirmed rabies animals never had problems. Um, the ones that did were the ones that had the vaccine, obviously, because they're being poisoned. And um, that, you know, brings about some severe side effects. Um, and so, no, even rabies uh, is a, a fraudulent um, disease where um, I, I can't remember the exact experience, but I'm pretty positive Pasteur was drilling holes into the heads of the dogs too when he was oh, uh, injecting them. Yeah, and so it's like all kinds of unnatural, like grotesque, horrific experimentation that was going on in an attempt to prove these uh, diseases in fact exist when, when they don't. Um, but early on, you know, with the, the Spanish flu and stuff like that, they, they did try to do these human-to-human transmission studies, but then they were deemed too unethical, you know. You, you can't have a, a sick person next to a healthy person and just have them sit by each other. That's too unethical. So you have to torture and abuse animals and inject them with diseased tissues from other animals or, you know, the spines of a human and uh, see if that uh, causes disease. Even with um, SARS-CoV-2, I don't know if you saw that the the challenge study that came out where they were trying to say, oh, look, we proved uh, human-human transmission um, through uh, a challenge study, uh, like a human trial. And they basically did the same thing where they cultured a virus. Uh, they didn't, you know, take from a person and uh, just use the, you know, the fluids from a person like Rasna did in 1918. They, they took it and did the whole cell culture process and they 
took the culture soup and injected it up the nose of a a patient. And then what they would have them do is they put a nose clip on them so that the stuff would stay up there. And then they would do PCR to see if the RNA was in them. And that's basically how they determined someone if they were infected or not was based on PCR and Mm -hmm. having culture Mm -hmm. soup, you know, injected up their nose. But no one can say that's not a natural route of infection. You're not going to have a bunch of cultured juice shoved up your nose and then have to hold a paper clip on your nose. I mean, no one gets infected that way. (laughs) So how they can draw any meaningful conclusions from an experiment of that type is beyond me. Uh, This is from Gloria. Does uh, your guest have any, uh, excuse me, any insights into what um, could be the results of these injections? Do we know anything more today than we did a year ago? As far as like the The why they're doing them or? No, the the, 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 the injections and the results. Um, That what could happen to people who are getting injected? what could happen like long term yeah yeah i don't yeah i don't know i mean they they've been you know releasing these reports from pfizer and everything showing just like i i know um i think it was back in september i posted um just images from a pfizer report showing all the side effects there's nine pages of side effects from their their trials and facebook banned me um Mm. for doing so you know, it was an actual document from Pfizer, but apparently I was spreading misinformation mm-hmm. for sharing it. And the page that they took out was one that dealt with uh, myo- myocarditis. Right. And so I don't think they wanted people to make that association, even though it's already out there. Um, but I mean, the, the problem is, no, we don't know long term what these injections are doing because people, um, even in the the trials, the control trial, like they unblinded the controls and they ended up injecting their control patients with the vaccine. So there's no real control. You know, there's no um, comparison between um, vaccinated or unvaccinated in these trials. They're all vaccinated now. So anyone, basically, we are the, anyone who's unvaccinated are the only controls, you know, the rest, you know, in the actual studies, it doesn't exist anymore. So... Mm. Uh, we we can't really know because the long term effects are um, we haven't seen that. But I mean, we'll see the longer people get these injections, what what happens? Mm. Is it surprising to you that um, they've been able to pull this whole thing off for the last two years? I mean, are, is it like it, it kind of makes your head explode to think about it? Right? It's like wow, it, man, holy cow. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, it's it's surprising in a sense that I, I don't know if it's so much surprising, but mm. it's more disappointing. Yeah, because I would think people would wake up after a while. You know, they'd sit there and start questioning this, mm. especially the longer this goes on. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. you would think at one point a light bulb would go off. Like, how many variants can come out before we say, well, that this is starting to seem a little fishy. I mean, we can't have a new variant if these vaccinations. Um, you know, work or these monoclonal antibodies work, or I think they even have this Plaxvid or something, some sort of pill that they're trying to push for COVID. And now they're, they were all happy about it. And now they're saying, well, it doesn't actually work. 
So all these therapies are supposed to work, but they aren't working. And we continually have all these new variants coming out. Um, at what point do people realize that there is no end game? They, they're going to keep this going mm. on and on and on. There's always going to be a new variant. There's always going to be a new injection that people are going to need. I mean, it's, it's, to me, it's about control. Um, they're, they're utilizing fear to gain control. And I, I, it, it blows my mind that people are not picking up on this, but they just continue to go along with it. You know, um, they'll get angry because others aren't wearing their masks or, oh, you're not injected. You better get your injection. It's just, it's definitely more disappointing than it is surprising. Yeah. California, and it just you know, California, Berkeley, and uh, New York, they're they're getting on the masking thing again, just for COVID. Not exactly. Even, not even monkey virus. It's crazy. Yeah. Like what are they well, doing? Well, and that's, I mean, it, and so the reason it's not surprising to me is because I believe it was back in March, Walensky, you know, the CDC director said, uh, "We'll give you guys a break." I mean, she really out and out, you know, said, "We're going to give you a break," but you know, we're going to have to use these measures again in the future. <laughs> well, they told us they were going to do that. They they gave us our break, and now now they're going to push for this again. <clears throat> it, they have to. They have to keep this narrative going because if they don't, if they if they <clears throat> admit that it's not a pandemic anymore, the everything that's out on the emergency youth authorization, you know, the vaccinations, the PCR tests, the monoclonal antibodies, the the drugs, all that goes away. And so they have to keep some semblance of a, of a pandemic going um, to keep these products on the market. Um, from uh, Leroy, does your guest believe there are bacterial infections that we can get from the outside and also sh- share with one another? No, not that I've seen. Uh, again, because um, a lot of that is based on the work of uh, Robert Koch and um, you know, he devises postulates, uh, the, the Koch's postulates, um, to prove bacteria causes disease. Um, when you look through a lot of the bacteria, like cholera, tuberculosis, um, H. pylori, um, E. coli, almost all the cases of these bacterial diseases are asymptomatic, you know, so you, you get that whole asymptomatic thing again. So they're found in healthy people. All, all we all, we we all, all have, have these them. bacteria. We all have them. We yeah. have them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they, they can't make people, they can't make people sick by uh, using this bacteria. So, um, you know, they try to say, well, Coke disproved his postulate. No, he proved his postulate right. That but his first postulate was that if a microorganism causes disease, it must be found in only those cases where they are sick, not in healthy cases. Right. But his work mm. with bacteria actually proved him wrong that bacteria does not cause disease because he was finding it all over in healthy people and um you know they've done that today they find them all all around in healthy people and so um the best analogy that i've heard is bacteria are like the firemen you know they're they're the cleanup crew um just because they're on the scene doesn't mean they're the ones who caused the fire so to speak and so there are conditions whatever it is whether it's physical emotional stressors, toxins that brought about the condition within our bodies for the bacteria to respond, to clean up. And so if you use antibiotics and different things like that, you're essentially destroying the very cleanup crew that's going to heal you. Mm. Yeah. 
so, so bacteria have gotten a bad rap. Yeah. Words. So um, if you ditch the virus and bacteria um, idea, uh, which they don't want people like you to do, or me, they censored right. us from YouTube, then the whole thing, Mike Stone, just falls apart. You got no antibiotics, you got no vaccines, boom. The whole trillion, two, three trillion dollar medical thing just implodes, just doesn't go anywhere, man. Wow. Absolutely. The pharmaceutical industry, I mean, that's why they don't want us to believe that. They want us to have, you know, to believe that there's a magic pill, to believe there's a cure out there for what ails us. And instead of taking personal responsibility for our own health and our own actions, um, you know, whether it's through our diet, nutrition, lifestyle choices, um, you know, our, our exercise habits, um, if we're eating good foods, clean foods, um, if we're, you know, working on our emotional health, you know, those are the ways that you're going to maintain health. Those are the ways that you're, you're not going to find health in a pill or an injection. It just doesn't work that way. Hmm. you're going to, you know, through that process, we're basically going to be customers for life. We're reducing symptoms, but if you look at symptoms as a, as a, either a response to your body being out of balance or as potentially as a healing phase, all you're doing is disrupting that process and you're not getting to the root cause. You're just masking it. You're, you're taking like blood pressure medication. You're taking that over and over and over again to mask the, the high blood pressure, but you're not dealing with the result or not, I'm sorry, the, potential cause right. which yeah. is either your nutrition your stress levels or uh your lack of exercise lack of sleep there's a lot of things that can cause high blood pressure so you're taking a pill to reduce your blood pressure but you're not fixing any of your lifestyle habits that are leading to that and that that's what they want us to do they want us to continue with these bad lifestyle habits these these choices so that we become customers for life we, we continue to take these medications um, and and they, they have us in a weakened sick state. I guess it's difficult for most people, many people, to um, to get their heart around the idea that things could be that big and spooky, you know, and controlling, yeah. right? Just so many people have a hard time with that, and I understand that, because it's just too big. It's like, how can that be that there's that, these people just really want to kill us or control us but it seems to be oh, true yeah. right? it's hard yeah, i understand it is it was hard for me when i first was looking into this you don't want to believe that there are bad people out there people yeah. that don't have your best you just heart. Don't want to believe it and no and you know i'm not going to sit there and, and speak to the motives beyond you know wanting control and, and to make profit but i mean it's been shown throughout history that people do these things and um you know, there's plenty of evidence out there if you're willing to look, but they have done an excellent job of uh, pe- keeping people indoctrinated and, and believing that they're here for the benefit that you need the government, you need, you know, the pharmaceutical companies, you need to trust the media, all these things that basically we need someone else to tell us how to be healthy and, and what to believe. Um, I, I believe there was a, an article that um, basically told, it was, I think it was in Forbes that said, um, don't do your own research. Like that, the headline was something like, don't really? do your own research. Really? Don't, yeah. They don't want people to think. Yeah. They, they don't want us to, to be responsible on our, ourselves. They don't want us to be our own experts. You know, they want us relying on them. And, and so anytime someone goes out and challenges that and, 
and starts to question it, it you're, you're obviously going to be, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. hit some nerves. I, I posted a, uh, a little meme on Facebook about the World Economic Forum and who are all the sponsors. I just thought it was interesting, oh, yeah. you know, Netflix and yeah. uh, whatever, Pfizer. And Facebook flagged that as false information. It's like, okay. And it's like, it's information that's out there. That's, that's the thing it's that like, blows my it's mind. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's ridiculous because every time Facebook does that, they're basically calling these themselves or they're these organization liars. Yeah. Like when I went and put, um, <laughs> I put information directly from the FDA um, and the CDC and the WHO about PCR tests. It was just from their sources and they labeled me false information and banned me for it. <laughs> I'm like, but these are the actual people you're telling us to trust and I'm sharing their information, but I'm being called, it, it's just mind blowing that, that they, and you would hope that people would see that, that they'll say, wait, how, how is that false information when it's coming from the sources that you're telling us to trust? Mm, yeah. But <laughs> they don't, they just see the little fact check thing on there and they're like, oh yeah, that guy's promoting misinformation. Um, uh, disappointing. That's why I said it's more disappointing yeah, to me than really, it is. It's really disappointing. Um, yeah. So, um, Sarah wants to know. So, oh, so is your guest saying that you could have sex with somebody with sexual transmitted disease and not get it? You know, that's interesting. I mean, Cowan he argues that you just can't. And Kaufman and the Lanka, do you are you on board right. with that? You think? Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, just let's take the number one sexually transmitted disease or the one that everyone feared throughout the 80s, HIV. HIV, right? right. Yeah, the Nancy, I don't know if you're familiar with the Nancy Padian study in 1996 where she followed uh, for 10 years discordant couples. So those were couples where one partner was HIV positive and the other one wasn't. And for 10 years they followed these couples and these couples had unprotected sex. You know, they were doing all sorts of stuff. Not a single partner ever contracted HIV. Is that right? None of them. Wow. Yeah, not a single one. And so um, mm. then you look at the actual statistics. I don't have them on offhand, but it's like really ridiculous. Like for a man, you'd have to sleep with like 3,000 uh, 3, different times with someone who has HIV in order to become infected. For a woman, for some reason, it's lower. It's like 2,000 or something. I don't know what it is. And, and it, it chooses people based on ec socioeconomic status, their race, um, whether they're, you know, straight or not. It's uh, the virus is very picky as far as who it wants to so, infect based on. Yeah. Well, so what were all these? God love them. All these gay people dying from in the in the eighties, early eighties. You know what, what was going on? Well, a lot of it. I I know um, uh, sources at that time uh, are from reading the sources, they were saying uh, there's a, a big um, uh, push to use poppers. Uh, they're called uh, yeah. anal, nitrate, anal nitrate, I believe is what they're called. Yeah, and the gay community, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and they were using that and abusing them and it was causing the, the carposi sarcoma, I believe is what the, the condition was that was originally considered AIDS. And so it was causing a cancer in them. Um, and so it was linked to that. But then AIDS eventually grew 
or HIV eventually grew to incorporate like 27 or 28 different other diseases that are all normal people get. But basically, um, the people who are coming down with um, AIDS were people who are drug users, you know, injection uh, users, people that were uh, gay that were doing poppers and things like that. And um, what was the other one? Injections, people that were getting blood transfusions. <laughs> and so it's it was a, a situation where it was mostly either drugs or injections not not due to and sexual then activity then the medicine they came up with too that was causing a lot of problems oh azt yeah eventually azt was a black box you know it was too considered too toxic for chemotherapy wow but they ended up pushing it on yeah, it was a black box, black label, black label uh, medication. They they deemed it unworthy for chemotherapy, but then they put it on HIV patients, and and the symptoms, the the actual symptoms of AZT mimicked exactly what they called um, AIDS. Wow. It was causing you know wasting away syndrome. People were basically dying, and they ended up, uh, I believe, in the mid '90s, they cut the amount of AZT that they were using so that people would live longer. And so it made it look like the, the treatment was actually working. Oh, look, they're now starting to live longer. But no, they were just decreasing the dose My of the, the toxic chemical they were giving them. Uh, now they have, um, you know, the different um, antiretrovirals. I believe some of them still have AZT in them. I'm like, I don't quote me on that. But, you know, they're still toxic, but they're less toxic than what AZT was. And so eventually over a period of time, you're going to see someone taking these waste away but it's or they'll have um you know there's a lot of mm-hmm. liver problems that they get from them uh there's known issues with bone density they'll get different growths and uh like humps on oh, their yeah. it's, it's terrible it's all sorts of side effects that they they admit that the drugs cause but they'll still say no you need that it's going to help you live longer but counter to that there is a, a, a lot of stories. Um, there's this uh, site that I used to go to that was called uh, Living Without HIV Drugs, I believe is what it was called. Stories, numerous stories of people that were diagnosed with HIV, you know, in the 80s, never positive. took the drugs. Or, yeah, and they're HIV positive and never took the drugs, li- are still alive today. Uh, I know some that are still alive today and never been sick. Um, or they um you know were taking the drugs for one time got really sick stopped the drugs and made a full recovery so um even uh, montagnier that you know luke montagnier the guy who discovered discovered hiv said if someone keeps themselves healthy you know they keep their they eat right they they manage their stress and everything they can clear hiv out of their system They'll and be fine and then were they diagnosing it with a similar pcr type test to say you're they do positive. now. Um, okay. I, 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 I can't remember exactly what year they started with PCR. They were doing a lot of antibody testing. So the antibodies, was it was different. So um, normally, if you are tested for, like, let's just use SARS-CoV-2 as an example. So if you are tested with an antibody test and they say, oh, yeah, you're positive for antibodies, it doesn't mean that you're sick at that time. It means you recovered. You know, you have the antibodies in your system you fought off the infection and you're good you're you're supposedly protected that's what they say with hiv yeah yeah, that's what they say with hiv if they detect antibodies you're sick and you're basically going to die it's the exact opposite do we do do we all have these antibodies for everything 
normally, naturally? I have looked into antibodies. It's the same fraudulent science mm. that virology is built on. <laughs> really? They've never, never wow. have they ever purified and isolated an antibody. Not one time. So they don't um, exist. Fact, so they don't exist. At least not. At least not in the way that they claim that they do. They're mm. Like they have a theoretical structure of this. Um, you know the Y shape. I'm sure you've seen it oh, of an antibody. Um, yeah, and they have a theoretical idea and structure of what an antibody is, but it's based on. Um, so it goes all the way back to the late 1800s. Um, <laughs> this scientist named Paul Ehrlich. Or, or I can't pronounce things properly, but anyways, um, he, based on different chemical reactions that they were, chemical um, experiments they were doing with blood, theorized that these particles existed within them. And he came up with um, a bunch of uh, ideas, drawings, and concepts for how they looked, but they could never see them. They, they're invisible, but they assumed that these particles were within the blood that were causing different reactions that they got in a lab. So they were seeing an effect and then creating the cause in their head, but they couldn't see it. So um, they, they called it their, the domain of the invisible, basically. There were, there were certain particles that belong to the domain of the invisible. Viruses and antibodies belong to that domain. So you can't see them, but you can create an idea in your head that these things exist. So and that's what they did. Yeah, they started with the idea first. Yeah. So this whole immune system thing may not may not even be right, what we think it is. I mean, right. uh, we don't really need one if there's no viruses or bacteria. Um, I guess the only way we get sick is by stinking thinking and chemicals, right? I, I, yeah, I look at it not as much, so much as immune system is more of a just a plumbing system. Mm. You know, it's your your uh, your body's constantly taking in stuff and it's got to push it right back out. Uh, it's not creating an immunity to these things. You might you might build up a tolerance. You know, like people who drink alcohol, they can build up a tolerance yeah. if they continually drink more and more and more. They're still injecting a poison or you know drinking mm. a poison. Your liver doesn't like it, but you can build up a tolerance to a point. You know, people in the past used to habituate themselves to toxins like snake venom and different things like that. Um, you can train your body to become more efficient at clearing this stuff out. But that doesn't mean you're immune to it. You know, uh, they, they would do these things where people would uh, build up a tolerance. But then after they stop doing it, you, you lose that tolerance. So it's just a more of a you your body becomes more efficient at cleaning that that toxins mm. out of its system so to speak which is why we do now uh, whether there's go ahead go ahead i was just going to say whether there's you know antibodies within the blood and everything that's never been proven um there could be substances in the blood we just can't they can't see those they can't see them in a live state everything is done through electron micros microscopy which is viewing um heavily altered samples in a dead state so they can't they just theorize they pick a particle and theorize what that particle is doing they they create a form and a function but they can't see it doing those things well, uh, which is why we uh talk a lot about um saunas right saunas sweating and yep. keep eliminating two three four times a day if you can and keep moving and drinking plenty of water and the body seems to get rid of whatever it needs to it just does doesn't it um oh absolutely it, it just does yep. 
You know, I did a sauna you're last night about nine o'clock, and um, my voice was gone. And and then I woke up this morning and I was soaking wet this morning mm. in my bed, just. Whew, and it brought me back of uh, remembering when I was a kid and my mom would pile blankets on us at night, you know, if we were sick, sick. And right. and then you'd wake up and you were soaking wet and you felt great. And I felt fine. Oh, yeah. I just lost my voice. So I was detoxing something. I burned through something. I don't know what it was, but the body knows what to do, right? It just knows, man. I, it's just great. Right. I, that's, I, I think that's what we've lost. Yeah. You know, through through their indoctrination, we've lost the ability to trust our bodies to do what it has to do. <laughs> it's gonna People do think it. that yeah. our bodies are damaged. You know? Now that now we have all this genetic data. Oh, uh, you you're you know it's just bad luck. You just have genes that are going haywire and stuff like. No, the body knows <laughs> what to do if you treat it right. You know, you give it um, if you need rest or you know you know if you need to fast or if you need to sweat out whatever. Your body will take care of itself, but. This, the moment you start interfering with that process is when you're going to start seeing a lot of problems. And that's what we're doing. We're interfering with our body's ability to heal itself by taking these pharmaceuticals or taking the injections and, um, you know, or not changing our lifestyle habits that, that might be necessary in order to, to live healthy. Yeah. The body will adapt. It'll, it'll, it'll learn how or it knows how to um, efficiently heal and clean itself but we we've been taught that our bodies are um you know they're not smart they don't know what to <laughs> do they, they need now. help with these. no we need these these outside influences in order to yeah. to work properly uh which is and with each passing day um i'm not interested in trying to kill anything you know some alleged bugs or parasites or anything i don't my body knows what to do um and you know that's a big exactly. thing in the natural food world, natural healing world. There's a lot of people that still spend a lot of time trying to kill stuff, you know, in the natural. Yeah. And I, I think it's not well thought out. I just don't think it's well thought out. Just me. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't even, you know, I haven't looked into as much as I'd like to. But I've, I've know some friends who have who've looked into parasites. You know, they get a bad rep. Like, oh, if you have a parasite, it's, it's, um, you know, feeding off your body, you're gonna get sick. But there's a lot of evidence that shows that your body needs them. It's a it's a mutual uh, relationship where we work together. It's and if you kill those things, you're uh, not only killing if you're using you know para, anti-parasitic drugs and different things like that. You're you're actually killing uh, beneficial organisms that your body actually needs, and yeah. so um, or at least knows how to work with. So um, th- yeah, there's a, there's a lot of things that we've been taught that may not be well definitely are not what we were told they were supposed yeah. to be i'm sure there are cases where if things really get out of hand you can try to intervene a little bit and i guess that yeah. happens you know but on the idea of thinking i i i just think it has been so fascinating mike stone to to look at this whole baby formula thing and you know mm-hmm. there is actually reports that kids are going to the hospital because they don't have baby formula which in my opinion if you look at the ingredients it's not good stuff it's gmo soy god knows what it is and i mean you could just go to the store and get organic milk and you'd be fine just give the kid milk you know it's 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 this idea that we need something else or some product or you know something to save us that comes from a lab yeah something that comes from a lab something that's not natural whoa
yeah, it's, it's not natural in any sense of the imagination. And that's, that's part of the problem. I, I understand, you know, it's a, it's a heated topic because there are women who have difficulty lactating and sure. stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, uh, it's always going to be more beneficial to have natural breast milk. If you can't do that, then yeah, why, why not supplement with some uh, organic milk, uh, you know, uh, goat goat's milk, milk or cow's milk or whatever, right? Yeah, milk, whatever, whatever it is, you're, you're still getting milk. It's going to be better than that synthetic stuff for sure in my opinion there, there's no reason you can't trust what they put in i mean how many baby formula recalls have they had there, there's been numerous recalls of these things because they find different toxins and stuff within the formulas themselves so um i highly doubt the kids are getting sick because they don't have formula it's no. more than likely they're sick because of the formula or and their moms are stressed out and worried and then freaked out and you know that'll pass on the baby Oh, easily. easily easily you know god well what a crazy world we're in dude i tell you what <laughs> it's like it really is, it's it is. everything is kind of upside down and backwards kind of upside down well maybe it's going to yeah. turn right side up mike stone what do you think i mean i'm into that right i i i always like to i, I remain hopeful because so many people are waking up to this i mean yeah it's a slow process um but more and more I am seeing um, a lot of different people, even in backgrounds like, uh, you know, scientists. Um, uh, I have a friend, Mike Donio, who is an ex-scientist uh, or a former scientist, and he's coming out and speaking out, doing interviews and um, and, and things like that. We have, you know, uh, doctors like Dr. Mark and Sam Bailey who are doing amazing yeah, work. Yeah. Dr. Cowan is doing amazing work. Dr. Kaufman, um, Stefan Lanka. You know, there's so many people out there that are, um, promoting and, and pushing for um, the truth to be out there. And so it is nice to see uh, more and more uh, people coming around to the idea that everything is not what we've been told it is. You know, I, and I'm not saying that people have to just believe us, but at least look at the evidence. You know, do, do your own research, investigate for yourself. Don't just listen to what the mainstream media is telling you or these companies that are profiting off your um sickness and, and ill health you know you, you don't have to just trust the experts you you should become your own expert do your own research yeah. uh, that's that's mm. what i feel people need to do they have to take responsibility for themselves and now uh this whole who thing it's pretty trippy you know, we're gonna do a show on that next week and you know they want to take it to another level too right boy just boom they do boom but, Which is probably why you're seeing little little things. I don't I don't I don't foresee, you know, yeah, I, I, I could I be wrong, but I don't I don't think monkeypox is gonna be blow up into like a COVID I don't think it is style either. scenario where people yeah. but I think they're trying to keep this idea alive that we need the, the intervention from the World Health Organization or we need the C D C because at any moment's notice we can have a, a virus mm. that, you know, wasn't endemic or not endemic, but you know traveling continents now it's coming here so they, yeah. they want to keep these little threats alive just so that um we we feel we need them just more we can trust them yeah and uh yeah, exactly but um I, I think i think we're gonna see a lot of uh more states like florida texas oklahoma they're just saying we're not gonna do it and desantis is already out there saying i don't care what the who says it ain't happening here Good. dude you know in my state 
and I, you know, that's I think that's where we're going. You know, we're gonna just form our own little. We're gonna be Texans and Floridians. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I mean, pretty much. Like, basically, it's getting to the point where each state yeah. is just gonna have to, you know, stand up. Do what, what it's, yep, stand up and do it. I think, fortunately, our governor here in um, Iowa, Kim Reynolds, has been uh, pretty much lockstep with like DeSantis and everything. So we've we've had a you know, we haven't had as strict of mask mandates or, or um, social distancing a lot in the quarantines and stuff like that as other places. So we've been fortunate with that. And um, it is frustrating to see, you know, friends I know that are living in states where they are, you know, a lot more strict and, and forcing them to, to uh, I have friends who've been arrested because they weren't wearing a mask. You know, it's just wow. stuff that you wouldn't think would be allowed and people cheered on they're like oh yeah you should have been wearing a mask you, you definitely deserve to be arrested here's your ticket you know that's just ridiculous uh final one good day gentlemen it's a simple inversion of reality and half truths which are far more damaging than the outright lie thank you both for uh, what that you did in bringing this show to us and correcting the version of the story oh okay well with gratitude that's, that's nice. nice yeah that's nice yeah. Well, Mike Stone, thank you uh, so much for coming on. Tell folks uh, on your website if they want to visit you. What are they going to find there? There's your. Oh, yeah. Uh, on virology.com, uh, you'll go there. So what I've tried to do is just take the uh, papers themselves directly from the sources, whether it's the CDC, the WHO, the scientific studies. Um, and I put them out there. Most of the time, it's the whole paper. Sometimes I'll, I'll break them up, but I always provide the links to the, the sources so that you can go there and verify the information yourself. Um, I'll try to highlight uh, what I find is important uh, points within the papers or flaws in their logic, um, just to help people so that you can become familiar with what to look for uh, if you wanna do your own research. Um, you know, I don't want anyone just to take my word for this. Um, you know, you can read the papers themselves without reading my commentary, but I always will provide some insight and I'll try to provide further clarification um, for anyone that wants that. So um, I think, like I said, we all have to be our own experts at this mo moment in time. We have the information at our fingertips and some people are just not sure where to go. And so my site is I hopefully set up so it makes it a little easier for people to, yeah. you know, comb through this information themselves and and just to get an idea and, and figure it out. Well, you're right. I'm always happy yeah. to answer questions. You're right with a real clear voice, and uh, that's good. <clears throat> so thank you so much. And uh, next time we talk, I'll probably have my voice back. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. Oh, okay. really. You're welcome. Thank good, you very much. Good have job. A wonderful day. Until yeah. Today. Good job. Thank Take you. Care. Mike Stone, Patrick Timponi, OneRadioNetwork.com. We're going to uh, regroup here. Maybe I'll try some orange juice. That might work. But it's coming back in a little by little. By, by Friday, we'll be back. But we're, in about an hour, we're going to do a show and um, with a, um, a fellow who's running for governor in the great state of uh, Oklahoma. And um, really interesting man. And uh, we're going to talk about the whole Roe v. Wade and abortion and what he has going up in his state and some of his ideas on 
same. So we're going to do that in about an hour. So that'll be good. So I'll see you in about an hour. Thank you. Appreciate it. Love you all very much. Take care of yourself. Broadcasting from the beautiful Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com.